football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are here to recap most things. Week five in the NFL, still maybe two games to go. Sam, how you yeah. doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm I'm better because your intro is back the way it should be, and that that makes everything all right with the world again. We're seeing the numbers go up too. Maybe it's linked to the the second you did that. I think it's true. It's linked to the intro, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, just want to tell you guys about an amazing offer from our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. Just do the math on this one. All first-time depositors of Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's right. It's $40 of value for just 20 bucks, And you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S. in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF, do it today, receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. Let's get right into the game, Sam. Starting with Thursday night, Tampa Bay Bucks at the Chicago Bears. The Bears win it in one just an ugly, weird game. I was joking, like the best passes in this game just kind of uh, improved field goal range. <laughs> it was like it's third and 29. Here's a 16-yard gain to improve your 45-yard field goal opportunity. And uh, we got to see the wide ranges of foals. Yeah. We got to see... Tom Brady, maybe not knowing what down it was. Maybe. Whether, I don't know what happened, but that was uh, a poor display at yes. the end. Every time we go back to like the Thursday night game, it feels like we're traveling back like three weeks and doing a game that happened, you know, it last does. season Let's sometime. not spend too much time. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the story was Tom Brady forgetting the down. Like, so my, when we go through the Thursday night game, I'm watching, like, first of all, obviously you want to see a good game figuring out what the storyline is because I write a, a reaction article coming off the back of it. Um, and then my next mode of thought is, well, what was the, the key sounds for the audio montage? Because that's when I start the following week's audio montage, right? So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Foles, get, they, they take the lead. We get another Tom Brady game-winning drive. Perfect. This is like great audio montage material. And then he forgets the down, screws it up. And you're like, well, that's just ruined it. Like my entire audio montage thing is just wrecked. And I was like, hang on. No, it's not. Now it's better because the audio montage becomes about him forgetting the down. So it's perfect. So, that, you know, that's just a little tease for the Thursday yeah, show. So tune in for the audio montage on Thursday. May or may not feature Tom Brady forgetting what down it is. So the Bears are now 4-1. and one. We'll talk more about both teams uh, coming up in the week six preview. But I think for the Bucks, they needed to figure out offensively how to not rely just on, you know, big-time throws from Brady because he didn't have any. And then the offense looks, you know, like it doesn't move the ball efficiently. And then with the Bears, you just really saw the wide range of foals, right? Yeah. 
if you just followed along with the Twitter reaction to Nick Foles, Nick Foles is terrible. Wow, nice play, Nick Foles. Nick Foles is terrible. Wow, look at that play by Foles. Trubisky couldn't do that. That was all in one night for, for Big Nick. Yeah, I mean, so the Foles thing is interesting because I think fundamentally he might not even be an upgrade over Trubisky, like the baseline, right? But, no. but... Well, we did debate that before. But. Yes. I, look, his baseline, if you just average it out and they say every single play overall, I don't know that he's an upgrade over the version of Trubisky we were getting so far this year. Having said that, um, Emmanuel Acho did this really good breakdown of that big play to David Montgomery, which essentially won the game for them, right? Yep. Put them into scoring position, took, gave them the lead at, at the end. And he broke down essentially all the pre-snap stuff that was happening from Foles in terms of what he did to engineer that play to be open and the stuff that you could hear because you don't have all the crowd noise, right? You can hear the checks and all this kind of stuff. I don't know that Trubisky is capable of doing that. So that play doesn't happen with Trubisky in there, right? So down to down, it's the same, but Foles is capable of doing that at the right time, which is the difference. So it's tiny, tiny margins. And generally, they might not have upgraded, but they have at least put a quarterback in there who, when he's playing at this kind of average to crappy level, is at least mentally capable of pulling something out of the fire and executing a big play, which in a game like that is literally the difference between winning or losing. So it's probably still the right call. But if you're looking at this being like, ah, great, we upgraded a quarterback, everything's rosy because the roster was really good anyway. Uh, not so much. I mean, I don't even think Bears fans are thinking that coming out of Thursday night. His first pass was sailed. He had a couple yeah. turnover-worthy plays and some, you know, some sketchy decisions in there. But hey, the Bears pulled it off. They're four and one with the ugly win. We'll have more. Yeah. On the week six, week six preview. Oh, you still want to stay here? I just one small thing about the Bucks. The irony about this is they're now Tom Brady is back in the situation he was in last year in terms of there's no receivers. You're like, oh, well, whatever about Brady in 2019, the one thing we know for sure about 2020 is he's got receivers he can get open. Look at the receiving core he's throwing to. Godwin, Mike Evans, all those tight ends. It'll be great. It's not like it was in New England. Now they're all hurt. Mike Evans is playing, but God knows he's not 100% healthy. The dude can barely move around. And like, he's back to just there's no receivers anymore. So right. like he's naturally the offense is struggling because Brady is back to I can't trust any of these guys to be open yeah presumably Chris Godwin comes back from a hamstring injury but yeah Evans has been battling multiple injuries throughout the season Gronk is still you know not really in football shape he's only got like 10 to 15 turbos in his uh arsenal hmm. I think he's used two of them this season I think that's how I'm describing Gronk okay OJ Howard out for the year so still a work in progress over there in Tampa Bay all right let's get to Sunday's action yeah the Las Vegas Raiders defeat the Kansas City Chiefs in an absolute shootout our friend John Gruden yes I think uh so listen I don't know for sure if he's a listener to the podcast uh -huh. but you know there's a pretty good shot that we're on in the background in John's office well yeah he's, he likes to listen you know that's that's why we have these long podcasts John likes to grind in the office to tape and you need some background noise what better sound than you and me as he as he goes through the film so john called us out kind bit, of a little bit he tried to let's listen let's listen to it yeah but you know we threw it down the field today on some of the pro football focused statisticians will have to scratch their head they're gonna have to figure out what well, did, did he really do that so the interesting thing about this is um this this week generally feels a lot like confession you know 
forgive me father for i have sinned because there's like a couple of things this week that i just did not see coming whatsoever one of them was the raiders beating the chiefs and it didn't quite go the like we said look the baseline the starting point is 30 points now they got there but the chiefs didn't they actually did a better job against the chiefs offense than i expected them to but the really interesting thing is Derek Carr or Henry Ruggs does appear to fundamentally fix Derek Carr in terms of he gives them the deep shot that Carr doesn't take when he's not on the field. Um, and it's not always pretty, like that first catch where he had to go up and essentially moss the DB. Not a great pass, but Ruggs can pull those off, right? He's got that kind of skill set that he isn't just a blazing speedster. He's got the hops. He's got the ability to take the ball away from a defender as well. But he just fundamentally changes the way Derek Carr approaches the deep ball. And it's not that he becomes this dramatically more aggressive quarterback uh, overall. Like if you pull up his passing map from that game, it's wild. It's like Drew Brees-esque, everything's around the line of scrimmage. And then there's like a bunch of deep shots and nothing in the middle, right? In theory, what you want is a quarterback that's attacking all levels of the defense, right? You right. have a lot of stuff in the intermediate level. You've got some short stuff. You've got the deep shots. And you can't zero in on, on any one area. <clears throat> if you can't get that, the next best thing probably is what you got from Carr yesterday, which is I'm going to take all the easy stuff. I'm going to take a bunch of checkdowns. I'm going to rely on yards after the catch. And then every now and again, I'm going to throw a bomb over the top and see if you're prepared. Um, so fundamentally, this is what we've been calling for, right? Carr is a technically good quarterback, but his deep shots appear more like a calculated um, occasional strategic element of his game, right? I'm just going to take right. a shot and see if the defense is paying attention. When but, Ruggs is there, even if they're the same, they're more frequent, and that's that's like that's vital. That's important. But at the same time, you also have the the key third down, where it was Hunter Renfro is more just a busted coverage, and he's breaking free deep. And Carr did see that late, so it wasn't all dialed up. But I no. see your like your point is is a good one. And either way, you know, I think. Either Gruden's listening to us or he read my article before the season. And yeah. the whole point, I was, you know, Derek Carr is one of the guys, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, I've said, has a throw down the field type of skill set. He is capable. He has good touch. He has good zip and accuracy and all that stuff. And essentially, the article I wrote before they even drafted Ruggs said, if you increase your average depth of target by at least one, you have a 20% higher chance of improving your EPA than if you decrease it. You know, essentially, it was um, how we broke it down. And I mentioned Carr in the article and said, yeah, if, uh, you know, if the Raiders add a couple playmakers that tap into Carr's downfield ability, they can elevate their offense into one of the league's most explosive units. Now, this was before Henry Ruggs. They add Ruggs, and this was our point on Thursday. Is this a Ruggs game? Is this a game where they drafted him to be their Tyreek Hill? Do we see Ruggs featured? Do we see the downfield passing game featured? Or, to your point that you love against the Chiefs, do they go and run the ball and try to play keep away? Now, Ruggs only has six catches in the NFL, so let's not overblow this entire thing. But three of them are at 45-plus yards. He had the 72-yard touchdown. And to your point, we've always talked about like the Deshaun Jackson factor. Does it open up everything else? in the offense and I do think it does if Ruggs is there and Darren Waller as a pretty solid tight end threat I mean that's a good one-two punch for the Raiders passing attack it was an impressive effort from them, them offensively and this is what we said needs to happen if they're going to beat a team like the Chiefs right you can't go out there and just play this check down game against a team like that and that was assuming 
you didn't you know you didn't do as good a job as you did on defense but this was a massively more aggressive car in terms of those deep shots like those deep shots alone he had more deep passing yards yesterday than he had in the four games before that combined right like 219 to 155 so yeah. significantly more this was a way more aggressive Derek Carr even though the what the median pass would have been really low like exactly where it normally is but the the mean is way higher the mean, like his average at the target measured by the mean is 9.4 yards so it was the highest downfield highest he's had since Gruden took over or it was right. right up until they were essentially running the clock out at the end so it was the most aggressive for just on a per play basis the average yeah since Gruden took over so this is exactly what we said needed to happen now I don't know I, I don't think it's fundamentally changed my perception of Derek Carr in terms of how he operates I think he's still a technically very good quarterback, but I do think it changes his ceiling. Like if he's prepared to do this when Henry, Henry Ruggs is on the field, he becomes a top 10 quarterback because this was a missing element to his game. So we're, I mean, I may be scratching my head in terms of I didn't think this was going to happen, but this is exactly what should happen if you want to be a successful team. Scratching your head? No, the Derek Carr shooting deep thing. Um, you're scratching your head because John that's what John that's said. what John said yeah. can we talk about the other side of the ball though yes because I have the thoughts. Raiders had to me I was trying to work out all right what are they doing to Mahomes because this he's playing badly and this is unusual um it almost seemed like all of Mahomes best plays not all of them a lot of Mahomes best plays come when you know you rush you flush him from the pocket and then suddenly he's playing like Mahomes ball right and it's just running around eventually heaves one 50 yards back across the field to an area that nobody's defending because you don't normally have to um the Raiders seem to like almost most teams the plan is don't let him do that right that's when he's at his most dangerous the same thing with Rodgers don't really rush because when you let him loose that's when chaos happens and you're screwed the Raiders seem to do it the opposite way which is let's actually try and make him do that but have linebackers basically primed to chase him the hell out of the pocket the second he breaks contain and then flood everything like cover up everything else behind that so they would have this situation where they basically force him from the pocket in one direction and then have the the, the linebackers at the second level basically spying on either side so the second he starts to come out of the pocket those guys are sprinting after him to actually rush him into these decisions so he doesn't just have all day to find some crazy pass that no one else can attempt you have a linebacker chasing him down immediately and forcing him to do something like ill-advised. I, th I think there was some of that. I also think that the Raiders did a good job of anticipating his pocket movement and making it, he did break the pocket a lot. I mean, the, the bottom line, my note on this is, this was a Texas Tech game for Patrick Mahomes. He finished with six big time throws, few of which didn't become, three of which didn't even count, which is yeah. part of the issue as well. Uh, maybe one of the throws of the year to kick it off that got negated by holding. We'll talk about that in a second. But he, Mahomes also had four turnover-worthy plays in this. Now, right. part of that's you know you're playing from behind, you got to force some stuff, which they're not usually doing. But that has been on, that has not been a part of Mahomes' game. As reckless as it feels like he plays sometimes, he does not put the ball in harm's way a whole lot. The last two weeks though, he has seven turnover-worthy plays against New England plus the Raiders. The last two weeks have been Texas Tech Mahomes. That to me is a little concerning. I thought the Raiders did a really good job of at least anticipating his pocket movement and not overcommitting too much. 
you know, so they tried to mirror him a little bit in the pocket. So that's like when he tries to get out, the key as a quarterback is how quickly can you get your eyes up the field? I think they, they made him maneuver just enough that he couldn't get his eyes up that quick, right? So then it takes you a little bit longer. You have to get out on a sprint. And he made, he made a few of those cross-body throws. He made some ridiculous cross-body throws. One's dropped. Um, you know, others just, just not there. Another one, you know, overthrow that should have been picked or whatever. So it was just a mixed bag all over the place. But I thought the Raiders did a pretty good job. From a Mahomes standpoint, though, I think he was just too aggressive in this one. There were there were plays when we always talk about the easy stuff. I like to I break down quarterback in simple terms. There's the the tough stuff and the easy stuff. The easy stuff isn't just screens; it's quick game and just first read stuff. It's just getting the ball out of your hands. Mahomes was not good at any of that yesterday. He was not taking a whole bunch of five-yard gains on second and ten, five-yard gains on first and ten when it was there. It was like he was going for the home run every single time so i don't think he was seeing the field well he was inviting pressure like crazy with his drops and the way he was drifting and all that stuff so it was very texas tech like the easy stuff quote unquote easy stuff that mahomes usually executes wasn't there but he also had six big time throws and they scored a ton of points and that first big time throw was 65 yards in the air to tyreek hill he threw it when tyreek was at like the 20 threw it as far as he could to the to the perfect spot for a negated 59-yard touchdown, which was just insane. Um, and then there was a pass later, too, where Mahomes sees Tyreek break behind the defense and then heaves it another 60-plus yards, and it was underthrown, which, of course, it was underthrown. He had to throw it 60 yards, like, rolling to his left. It was just it was a wide array of Mahomes. But I think the Raiders overall did a pretty solid job of discouraging some of the early stuff or Mahomes or at least just creating indecision so Mahomes was coming off those first reads. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I hate when those like amazing plays get chalked off by a holding call. It's just such a kick to the teeth. Yeah, so but, Mahomes' grade is going to end up pretty good in this game. Yeah. It, it, this is the opposite of what we had been saying about him. He could play poorly and the stats are pretty good. Like he had so many negated good plays that um, the grade's going to be better than people expect maybe based off the stats. I think just a huge part of this game was what the Raiders managed to do when he was on the move. Um, he was 5 for 13 when he was scrambling. Yeah, right? and listen, 21 of his 50 dropbacks were outside the pocket. Right. Either by design, but most, of, most through scramble. That is an insane percentage. Yeah, so 5 for 13, but more importantly, a PFF grade in the 60s, right? right. And just at the low end of the 60s, 60 point something. For the last, since the start of 2018, when he's been scrambling, his grade is 90, right? So his completion percentage is higher. His everything is higher. He's usually phenomenal when he does that because he has time to pick the pass, find a guy that nobody is covering because you can't for that length of time and in those places and hit him. But the Raiders did a really, really good job of figuring out where he was going to move to and close very quickly on him and basically force him to pick a pass that wasn't good. It didn't always work because oh, yeah, it's just yeah. a difficult thing. You can't cover all those They did things. a good job with that. And he did make a couple of big-time throws in those situations, but he was dramatically less efficient than he normally is. That's usually where Mahomes absolutely kills you, and he didn't in this game. I, I thought the Raiders just did a good job, again, of creating a decision. They, were, they, were, they, they almost disguised – they were spinning their safeties pretty much every single play, some sort of we're starting single high, we're going to two high. I mean, they were doing a pretty good job – of all of that and when you ro they roll to too high a lot and when you face a too high too deep safety looks the underneath stuff is generally open you can 
you can flood the underneath zones. But the Raiders also did a nice job of mixing up man and zone. I think there was more there was more profit to take for Mahomes yeah. that he didn't that he didn't take. So I want to credit the Raiders defense, not because everything was covered all the time, but I think they created enough indecision in Mahomes so that they could make enough plays. His it, average it's a shootout. His oh. average depth of target, by the way, on those scramble plays was nineteen yards. Like at oh, some yeah. point at some point taking take a shorter shot. But he had one I mean he has gotten away with it. He has one interception on the season. He has gotten and it was just it was on fourth down. Um, it was a misread, but it was on fourth down. But man, he has gotten away with a ton of passes over the last couple of weeks that should have been picked, including one that was in the end. He threw one up right to Trayvon Mullen in the end zone. And yeah. Mullen tripped and should have picked it off. So um, man, any thoughts on it? Kansas City has not been dominant this year. No. Outside of the Baltimore game, they have not had one game where, they, and obviously they lost this game, but they even in their wins, they haven't dominated. Any concerns in Kansas City? I mean, this game, I think, was concerning. More late in the game, you know, the, the Chiefs, when you put them in this double-digit hole, it's almost where they're most comfortable in that offense, right? Where Mahomes can just go out there and say, we're passing every down. I'm going to get this done. And late in the game, they were chasing, and it felt like, look, they're going to score twice, but your problem is you can't stop the Raiders at the moment. Like that, I think, was their bigger concern. Not that Mahomes had a bad game and that the offense wasn't really clicking. Late in the game, you had no problem whatsoever in believing that they could score as many times as required, but you couldn't stop them. That right. was, I think, a way bigger concern, that this defense has typically been really good and been a big part of them being this dominant juggernaut, the defense couldn't stop the Raiders, particularly when they added that threat of the deep shot that was there. Raiders, that I think was a concern for them. The Chiefs do a really good job taking away the intermediate middle. They just take the take away the middle right, of the field, which is so the, the one thing that the Raiders had no interest in taking in the first place. And that's what the Raiders did a really good job of getting behind yeah. on, on some of those deep balls. And then the Raiders, this is the story of the game: the Raiders passed for over 200 yards on third down alone. Like that's it. Yeah, that's the story of the game. So good job, John Gruden. Appreciate you reading my article on Derek Carr saying, hey, he's the next guy to take the step forward. This guy. Raiders win. Mm -hmm. They continue to have uh, impressive wins when, uh, you know, they beat the Chiefs, beat the, beat the Saints. Yeah, so this is my first confessional today. There's, there's another one later on. We'll get to that. I have a confession. Oh, yeah? What do you got? And an apology. Ooh. We apologize for completely neglecting the state of Pennsylvania yeah. on Thursday. The pen, the, Scott Hansen on Red Zone, uh, much though, you know, Andrew Siciliano, official friend of the show, as we'll get to later. You're cheating on I, Andrew. I don't have DirecTV, so I, I have to listen to Scott on a Sunday. Andrew, can we get some DirecTV for Sam over here, please? Right. The, the, he was calling Pennsylvania some weird-ass name of the state. Like, a, like what the hell was it? It's Keystone State. Was that it? Does that yeah, sound familiar? Right, yeah. The Keystone State. What? Okay. He just kept banging on about this Battle of Pennsylvania is a Keystone State game. Well, right. you're American. Do some do some research on it. Uh, not yet. I don't have to pass the citizenship test for a while. So we apologize um, to our YouTube viewers. I think you went into the comments and gave your little preview. Yeah. Um, to the listeners, we just apologize. We completely forgot it. Sam, Oops. Sam's fault. Um, so we forgot the game. We apologize. Let's discuss it right now. A back and forth battle between the Eagles and the Steelers. It was really a back-and-forth battle between Travis Fulgham and uh, Chase Claypool. Of course. That was Which is what everybody thought going into this And that's game. what we would have said in our preview. Mm -hmm. We would have said, look, this is going to come down 
to Travis Fulgham and, and Chase Claypool. And whoever has more touchdowns in the end is going to win. Yes. And there it is. Chase Claypool finds the end zone four times, so Steelers win. Good analysis by the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah, well done. What do you think? Um, Well, the Claypool thing is kind of wild. Like, he... You know, it's obviously this running joke that the Steelers just find receivers everywhere. doesn't yeah. matter, like, where you draft them. Now, my plan will be, if I like a receiver in the draft, it's not going to be caring about how high he goes, so I can be like, hey, see, I told you this if guy. If he goes to here. the Steelers, he'll right. be okay? It's just going to be, I don't care what round he goes in, as long as he goes to Pittsburgh. Therefore, he'll be good. Um, yeah, like, Claypool, obviously, he's this big, physical, imposing receiver to the point where people were calling him a tight end you know, in the pre-draft process because he was so big. But he's got speed, and he's got movement skills that are rare for a guy of that size. Did, like, his touchdown over Nate Gary was just ridiculous. Like, yeah. it, to the point where, like, Gary was beaten so badly that it looked like a bust from the safety because that's how far away from being yeah, anywhere near the play he was. struggled. Like, he was the middle linebacker in essentially a Tampa 2 and just like Claypool just like freezes him with his move and then runs the hell right by him and it was like watching an oil tanker turn around and try and head back in the opposite direction like he was just toasted but Claypool looks legit and you add him to those receivers that are already really good really diverse that's a scary looking receiving core all of a sudden and as I said on the the radio before this like Roethlisberger doesn't have to be that good because everyone he's throwing to is. It might be crazy. Ben Roethlisberger, who is usually, you know, high up there in big-time throws, he'll mi especially most recent years, he'll miss a ton of throws. So, you know, the grade ends up pretty good, whatever. He, is he only has six big-time throws. That's like in the 20s among quarterbacks. It is just not a classic Big Ben type of season so far. Um, and then with Claypool, I really thought, hey, you've got Juju – Deontay Johnson, who's been banged up, only played four snaps as a receiver yesterday. Uh, I thought those guys would be the volume guys. And Claypool would kind of battle James Washington to be like the vertical threat, you know. And then th that overall body of work would be pretty good. It looks like Claypool's even more than that. I mean, he's a vertical threat, but you use the speed on crossers. You can use it, use him in different ways. That's scary. Now, when you add that to Juju and Deontay and, and uh, into James Washington. And then if Ben gets the ball down the field a little bit more efficiently because he hasn't thrown the ball down the field all that well. This is a tough offense to defend. He should have had a fifth touchdown. He should well. have. Like that, he got one negated through offensive pass interference essentially because he just beat up the DB so badly that they threw a pity flag on it. But he he won. He should have had a fifth touchdown because he just destroyed the guy. He, Jay Poole, or Claypool is, is, was incredible. Um, also, what this game does – Opposing defenses are, they're going to know where Chase Claypool is now. Yeah. If nothing else, if he doesn't catch a pass the rest of the season, he's opening stuff up for everyone else because he becomes like the DK Metcalf of this offense. Like, right. I got to know where this guy is. I have to have the proper cornerback on him. I have to know because he is a mismatch weapon. Well, particularly when he's still not playing. It's not like he's an every down player yet, right? He's still only a bit part, part, or bit part um, player in this offense. So the second he comes onto the field, it becomes like a giant red flag, right? right? It's like, oh, hell, look, he's coming in, everything focused on this. Like, you change the defense just by sending him out into the personnel package. Um, the other takeaway I had from this game is that Carson Wentz might be fixed. Now, I know there was a really ugly interception in there, but 
there was a lot Carson Wentz didn't look in this game the way he's looked the rest of the season and even last week the first half he looked bad right he got fixed towards the back end of last week and it was like was that him actually rediscovering his mojo or did he just get lucky for a few plays Carson Wentz played pretty well in this again when you consider that his receivers are still Greg Ward and Travis Fulgham like it, you know he didn't suddenly get a healthy receiving core and offensive line to work with he's still dealing with a pretty rough situation and yet Carson Wentz looked like the guy he's looked like before yeah so I mean I think what I said previously he was in a slump he that's not his career baseline you mm -hmm. know I said on Pittsburgh radio the other day I was like he's playing like Blaine Gabbert I mean that's the reality oh, God it's the reality of how well he's played. Yeah. But Blaine Gabbert has a history of being Blaine Gabbert. So you would say <laughs> Blaine Gabbert's going to continue to play like Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert will probably continue to be Blaine Gabbert. But Carson Wentz, who currently is playing like Blaine Gabbert, has a baseline of being better. Therefore, he should come out of it. Mm. So it's not surprising for him to come out of it at some point, right? Um, so let's just make sure he's out of his slump. So yeah, I would be, as an Eagles fan, I'd at least be encouraged by that and the fact that you might only need four wins to win the division. So the Eagles are uh, still very much in this thing. Can we just revisit the Rams thing again? <laughs> no, we will. Do we Do we have the banner? Do we have the Rams NFC, NFC East Championship banner? The Rams are now 4-0 <laughs> against the NFC East. The NFC East, collectively. Do they only have three wins still? Am I reading that right? Cowboys, two. Eagles, oh, no. one. Yeah. Uh, Washington won. No, they've got the, the three teams at the top all have one win. The Cowboys have two. Not according to this. No. Did this not update? It's four to four. The how about the scheduling quirk on that though? The Rams are four and zero against the NFC East. So it's four and four. Yeah. Google is Google has the wrong win for the, they've given. Google doesn't know what they're Google doing. Google gave Dallas a loss yesterday. It's a bit harsh. Well, they lost Dak. I mean, sure, but I don't. Th anyway, the is point is that the Rams at four and zero have as many wins as the NFC East combined. Actually, I'm going to move that game up. By the way, I forgot. Okay, the NFC East combined against everybody through five weeks has as many wins as the Rams have against their division. Are they the new? How hard could it be? The NFC East. I mean, this is wretched. Like, I was. Who the hell was I asked? I was talking the the radio this morning. It was like, are Dallas still? Like, is their season sunk because they have Dak? And the answer is no, because this division is wide open. The same thing is true for the Eagles. Like, Carson Wentz has been playing like Blaine Gabbert for the first month of the season, and their first place in the division with a record of 1-2-1. and one. Like, this division, I mean, people talk about 500 winning this division. Like, 6-10 and 10 could win this division. There's a, there's a tough balance when you're analyzing football. There's a tough balance between taking in new information and what we call our priors or whatever, but like, the, the bigger body of work. The bigger body of work for this Eagles team, especially when they get guys healthy, is that they should be pretty good. Carson Wentz should be at least a mid-tier quarterback. Right. And they shouldn't be this bad. So on that sense, they should be getting better. So you, you want to... But on the other hand, the new information is they're all depleted. Wentz was playing horribly. So how much better will he get? And, you know, the defense has some issues you tried, on the back end. You tried to sully the good name of Jordan Mylata yesterday by pointing out that on one particular play he got whooped by Bud Dupree. Yes. I would point you to Jordan Mylata's exceptionally average grade and say that as a former rugby player, that's a pretty good job. That's good. He'll have, you know, four or five pressure surrendered by the time the the grades come out. PFF Elite, premium stats 2.0, if you guys have it. 
for an and off- uh, he's played all right. For yeah. an offensive line that is wrecked by injuries, he is not a problem. Yeah, that's. I therefore I mean, term that a success. Good job, Bud Dupree. Absolutely whooped him. On that it one was sack, ugly, though. but um, I I said that we should we should only it's only right and proper and fair that we redress the balance and we give did. Jordan Mailata an end around and run it right at Bud Dupree the next play. No, that I agree. That I agree. But you can't be biased. Like when George Fant was getting whooped, you weren't like, well, he's pretty good for a basketball player who never played football. <laughs> you made fun of George Fant. He's American. Like he grew up with the game. Yeah, but he played like twelve snaps in college. I just like it's it's osmosis. You've seen it happen. You understand how it works. Jordan Mailata was running over people playing rugby. He'd never seen the game before. Overall, though, the Steelers pass rush did get after. It didn't feel like it. I don't think as a Steelers fan, if you're if you're a Steelers fan, and it doesn't feel like their coverage grade coming into the game was twentieth last year. They were fifth. I, I think again the caveat of coming in saying, "Hey, our defense is great. We're going to be okay." This defense is not nearly as good as it was last year. But do you think that a big part of that is how much more aggressive they are this year? Like, they are blitzing more than anybody else in the NFL in a way they didn't a year ago. That exposes your back end in a way it wasn't a year ago. Like, you're asking more of your coverage unit this year than you were a season ago. Therefore, it's not grading as well. There's something to it, but it's also a team that, you know, when TJ Watts out there and, and feeling pretty good and Bud, you know, Bud's not a terrible pass rusher. He's at least reasonable and somebody that they account for. And then the interior put like they don't need to be blitzing like that. So that's right. I mean, that's almost a separate thing, though, in terms of like why are they doing it? But I think that explains what's happening. Like their coverage unit isn't as good as it was last yeah. season because you're hanging them out to dry more than you were with the ba- on the basis that you're pressuring more. Um, either way, so they're a team too. You would say maybe that you know the defense is still capable, and with the emerging offensive star that is Chase Claypool and the guys that they have there, Big Ben still there. I mean, Pittsburgh's one of those teams that they're going to be scary for the rest of the AFC. I think you yeah. know, a couple matchups with Baltimore, and it's going to be well, a pretty heated AFC. I think. And the fun thing is that the teams that we thought were sort of untouchable have each taken a knock right Baltimore yes. got their ass kicked by the Chiefs and the Chiefs just lost to the Raiders like the two teams that we thought were head and shoulders above anybody else right and then it was who joins them does Buffalo get into that does Pittsburgh get into that I mean now Buffalo and Pittsburgh haven't lost yet but Baltimore and Kansas City have each looked mortal and weak in a specific game well let's get to the Dak stuff the Giants and the Cowboys the Cowboys pull it off the Giants showed signs of life offensively thank you Dallas Cowboys defense but yeah. it wasn't just the defense. I mean, there was, there was defensive touchdowns in there and everything. It was, a, it was a crazy game. But Dak going down is obviously the story. Um, I think you see the respect that he has, not just from his teammates, but everybody. I mean, look, injuries happen all the time. But given everything that he's gone through on off the field, the well-publicized contract negotiations, if you're a fan, you sometimes you're just like, hey, player, sign this contract for my favorite team. This is one of the few contract negotiations that's been out there. And there's always that whole, do you play year to year? Do you play it out? I mean, there's an injury right in the middle of this guy about to get paid. Um, and, you know, he's he's been the guy for Dallas since Tony Romo took over. So Hart goes out to, to Dak. What do you think? What were you thinking during this whole thing? That was, yeah, that was as big an outpouring of sort of sympathy and grief as I've seen from a player getting badly injured. Um, yeah, it sucks for him. I mean, that's, uh, that's the, here's the, part of the reason why I don't really have a problem most of the time with players playing on that one-year guarantee deal. One, because it's a lot of money anyway. It's not like, you know, it's not like it's a problem 
Like if you don't play again, you just got $30 million guaranteed. Yeah, you're not not set for life. Right. You're still fine. It's just you didn't maximize what you could have gotten. Um, but also because most injuries now are not like the threat of a career ending injury in today's NFL is pretty, pretty small. And there's no better evidence of that than Alex Smith, who we'll get to later. Like that guy barely had a leg by the time his um, medical issues had finished and he just played an NFL game again. So the idea that like you could risk your career by getting an injury and, and never playing again, I think it's pretty small now in a way it wasn't in the eighties or whatever, right? On the other hand, like Dak's injury, the one that he got with a compound ankle fracture and dislocation, maybe like that's as close as it gets to like, that's a pro like that's a real long-term concern. So it's a major injury for him and a huge risk. And hopefully he just gets back hundred percent and it won't be any kind of problem, but it does throw those negotiations into chaos now because like who the hell knows what Dak Prescott's going to be like or how long that's going to last or what the recovery timetable looks like in terms of like when you can actually start negotiating from a position of strength again if you're Dak, right? Because the longer this went, there's there, this is the only scenario whereby the number gets smaller for, for Dak's contract. Right. Every other scenario, he was only pushing the price upwards by hanging by holding out. Um, so th that's going to be a nightmare for him to negotiate in terms of proving to Dallas that he's back healthy and therefore is worth $40 million a season. Um, and then the other element of this is, this is why Andy Dalton is there, right? He comes in and everything that rang true for Dak still holds true for Dalton. You have one of the best receiving groups in the NFL. Offensive line is a problem. Um, it was a problem for Dak as well, but you've got places to go with the football and Dalton is able to get them there. Yeah. We saw even in the second half that he was able to put the ball where it needs to go give his receivers a chance to make a play. And late in the game in particular, it was Michael Gallup making the plays, but like they can win games with Andy Dalton, the quarterback. Yeah, just to, to finish up the Dak thing, highest grade of his career, 86.2 right now. It's kind of how he started out last season too, but he is he's played better the last couple of years after a bit of a lull, seven, 2017 and 18, that has paired up with the supporting cast improving. And I think that's the biggest key for Dallas right now. I think they'll still... I think they'll still have an efficient passing attack. This is the best group of playmakers Andy Dalton has thrown to since 2015. His 2015 season is like one of my sample, you know, the examples that I use over and over again. Hey, you can grab Andy Dalton and pair him with three or four good playmakers and get good passing production. That's what they have in Dallas with Amari Cooper, with C.D. Lamb, who, by the way, C.D. Lamb is emerging as a middle-of-the-field threat. Yeah. And, you know, contested catches and yak ability – that is that's interesting to me because I saw him as like the purest outside receiver in this draft, um, but he's been good there. And then Gallup, we saw what he could do. You know, you chuck it up to him, he can make plays. I mean, that is three legit playmakers. Dalton also has one of the quickest releases in the NFL historically. Yeah, he gets rid of the ball, so he will probably be able to protect an offensive line that is completely depleted now. Depleted now that Tyron Smith is out for the season, Lyle Collins out for the season. Um, Dalton, now he he needs a good offensive line. We saw what happened in Cincinnati, but I think for the most part, he gets rid of the ball quickly enough to protect them a little bit. Well, or he needs a good, like a receiving core that's so good at offense. They get open. They got to get open quick. Yeah, yes. Which they can. So, yeah, look, 
and I, I, you know, want to underscore the idea that, look, we hope obviously Dak Prescott comes back 100% and this is as routine an injury as it Correct. can be. He gets, you know, surgery went well, he gets recovered and he becomes long-term starter there. Rooting for Dak here. Right. But I don't think Dallas's season is done because Dak Prescott is done. I think Andy Dalton is a capable starting NFL quarterback that can still win you games given the situation around him. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um the Giants are playing playing some teams tough over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Daniel Jones and that, I mean, they just have, they're going to have some decisions to make. Dude, that fumble was so bad. With the Giants. How do you not see that coming? He looks like he's trying to fumble a little bit when he's maneuvering the pocket. But uh, Jones is getting more into, you know, putting the ball in harm's way like he did last year a little bit more. Early in the season, he was playing a little bit better than the stats would show based off our grades. And it is a it has been a rough situation for them there but um Giants got some work to do I mean I, I'm with you on Dallas I think they still have to figure it out defensively and make some more plays there yeah but they should still be in the mix in this how hard could it be NFC East right particularly as I say six and ten could win that division like it, Dallas is their biggest problem right now is not the fact that they lost Dak Prescott it's that that defense still can't stop anybody like you turn the New York Giants into the best offense in the NFL like that is your issue you can't stop anybody so every game has to be a shootout and now you're in a shootout without your quarterback so the defense need they need to figure out some way of turning that around before you go anywhere but this division is going to be wide open to win for a long time because nobody is stepping up quick break to tell you about our friends over at pristine auction this whole episode is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out the daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items all up for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. So use promo code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. And right now we're currently giving away a signed Jerry Rice jersey. This is awesome. So go rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. If it's Apple, you just go make the review. Rate it five stars. Yes. That's the rule. Mm -hmm. And we'll be choosing a winner next week. So leave us some sort of uh, social media handle or some way of contacting you. Email if you want to put it out there. Uh, but some way of contacting you. And uh, we'll pick a winner for a, for, a, for a free Jerry Rice jersey. Sam's uh, number two receiver of all time? Sure. More or less. Behind Randy? Yeah, obviously. I mean, you can't, you can't have anybody other than Randy. Yeah. All right, let's get to the uh, Indianapolis Colts and the Cleveland Browns. You're four and one, Cleveland Browns. There is a buzz in Cleveland. Can you believe it? Like, people are through the roof. I'm happy for Browns fans here. The last time they were four and one, Bill Belichick was the coach. The Scott Pioli had hair, as he tweeted out last night. The first season of Friends was on TV. Ninety one. It wasn't a ninety one. 94 was it 94 yeah yeah that's when yeah friends yeah. came out that year yeah. first season of friends there was a whole bunch of stuff they threw up on the tv late in the game and that's the only one i can remember I also it's gonna go through the list but i can't remember what the rest of them were also in 1994 shout out to the uh north reading little league giants we won the championship that year yeah my buddy mike game winning homer huh. man 94 was a good year yeah it was a good apparently. year i can't believe that one didn't go up on the tv well, we'll put it up. We'll get a graphic. Can we get a graphic, please? On uh, Mike hit a three-run homer. Mm -hmm. Mike has never hit a home run in his entire life. And all of a sudden, boom, home run in the biggest game of our life when we're 12. Anyway, yeah. the Cleveland Browns, as I was joking yesterday, this felt like Phillip Rivers and Baker Mayfield taking turns 
trying to throw the game away. Yeah. Uh, Rivers ultimately won that battle of, of throwing things away. But um, here's the thing. Rivers, as much as I've been defending him, kind of – look, you've got L- – LaRaven Clark is trying to block Miles Garrett the entire game. Yeah. Not, Rivers not knows that. He was playing like Baker last year where Baker's like, I got Greg Robinson in my blind side. Let me just make sure he's blocking his guy. You know, that's what it felt like the whole time with Rivers. And then, you know, Rivers throws the pick six where he's late to the flat. He wasn't even under pressure there. He just always – he felt like he was under pressure even when he wasn't, and he just chucks it late to the flat for a pick six. He's got the the safety in the end zone where, again, like it, it was – he ended up getting hit, but it was kind of in pressure that he was responsible for. It was a little ugly for uh, for Phillip. Yeah, but the Raven-Clark against Miles Garrett was one of those matchups that can kill a game all by itself. Yeah. There was a drive early on where it was like bank-to-bank-to-bank plays where Garrett's just around and wrecking it. Like, if you don't figure – and they weren't, he was having no help early in the game. Like, if you can't anticipate that that's going to be a problem and after maybe like the first one, be like, all right, we thought we'd give it a shot, but no, we need to like, deploy plan B, right? The chip blocks. Like, they were just letting him go one-on-one and you can't block him. Like, that's Miles Garrett out there and you're Raven Clark. How do you think that's going to go? So, yeah, that was a major problem for them. The, the Browns are interesting, though, because this offense is functioning exactly the way you think it should, right? In terms of Stefanski comes in, brings the system with him. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And Baker Mayfield's not playing well right now. And actually... He's not at all. This game, he really didn't play well. Like, he had at least been more accurate the past couple of weeks, even if he hadn't actually been playing that well. But he wasn't even accurate in this game. It's like every pass except for one late on where he showed a bit of touch, he sort of plays like Fitzpatrick in terms of it looks like he's trying to throw his life force into every pass, right? Just bullets flying flying left and right. Like, dude, just you don't need to put everything into every pass. Dial it back a notch. Like That might be, you know, as we go back and we're trying to think, what, what did we miss in the evaluation process? Was that part of it that he doesn't have – the full array of throws. I mean, it wasn't like he would throw deep post and he would, but like the pure touch pass, like Marcus Mariota came out. I don't think he had great, he was a touch thrower, but he didn't have great arc on the ball. I don't know if Baker's missing a couple throws from the back or if he has just resorted to, I just, I want to chuck it. That's the thing, right? Because the problem with Baker and the what do we miss thing is that rookie Baker was really good. Like, rookie Baker looked like the complete package. He had everything there. The tools were all there. The Everything we saw in college translated immediately to the NFL level. You're like, hey, we nailed it. Right. And then, like, year two, it fell off a cliff, and now we're sort of figuring out where in the middle he's going to land. But the guy playing now is not the guy from his rookie season. They, they, I don't know if they fundamentally broke him last season, but Baker Mayfield now is not the guy – that he should have been or that he should be and that's what's weird to me is that like if you had told me that five weeks through the season all these things for Cleveland's offense would be functioning right the system would look great Odell Beckham starting to look like old Odell Beckham Jarvis Landry is a bigger part of the offense the run game is fantastic the scheme is functioning and getting people open I'd be like oh Baker's grade is going to be back where it was in his rookie season he's going to be 80 plus in PFS system he's not even in the ballpark like he's nowhere near that and everything around him is better that is is not just concerning but it's also weird like i don't understand why he's not 
a better part of the system. The system did a nice job. The play calling, the play action game did a nice job of creating a lot of open throws early in the game. But again, down the stretch, Baker hasn't really had a clean four-quarter game in a long a long time. A couple weeks ago, he played all right, but like there's there hasn't been a clean one in a while. And down the stretch, he's throwing throwing some some risky passes essentially when they're winning, right? Yeah. So that that I think is also part of the concern. It's just taking care of the football when you're supposed to be taking the throws that the system gives you. Yes. I don't know that I, I've got some concerns about the way he's playing, but they're doing a nice job of, of playing around it. The running game has been solid. I want to credit the, the Browns linebackers who I, I can't remember if I had him 31st. I think I had him 31st in the preseason rankings because the Rams were just so bad on paper coming in, but Malcolm Smith, Sione Taki Taki, Malcolm Wilson all played solid while they were out there. And every, I mean, it was just the back seven. I thought for the Browns, um, they played they played pretty well, especially in the middle of the field where yeah. Rivers was throwing them the football. Yeah, that'll help. Um, Baker, by the way, injured his ribs late in the game. Also looked like he ran into his shoulder, got dumped on. Shoulder by... looked like it was smoked. <sighs> I think, I don't know if it was the same injury, but the shoulder, like he definitely got driven into the turf, was having problems, and then took a really minor shot a little while later and immediately started clutching his ribs. I don't know if like the first hit jarred something loose and the second hit aggravated it or if they were two completely separate injuries but yeah. either way you had x-rays on the ribs that were negative but next week you're going to get a a less than 100 percent baker playing against pittsburgh's blitzburg defense that's a challenge now that teaser alert that's probably going to be one of our biggest games that we're going to preview right this week believe it or not the browns and the steelers one of the games of the week in week six and it's four and one versus four and one. It's going to be awesome. This was the game. Or, that, uh, yeah, this was the game that Philip Rivers can't have. You know what I mean? Like they bring Philip Rivers in to be not Jacoby Brissett. Like this was Jacoby Brissett. He could have gone out and done that. Sorry, four and zero Steelers, right? Yes, yes. Um, Google's still saying three and zero for them too. Google's you know. Google's not. It's having a bad day. Why did day. I give them a loss in my head for no reason? That was mean. Google's having a rough day in terms of updating the NFL alerts or the NFL scores apparently. But this, like, Jacoby Brissett could have had that game. You know what I mean? Like, what's the point in Phillip Rivers if you're going to go out and play like that? Well, Jacoby um, would have taken better care of the ball. Right. Four turnover-worthy plays for Rivers, including that one. The late, the late shot putt to the flat is just, like, not a good idea. Yeah, and again, it was one of those where maybe I over – maybe I over – I always describe the Chargers – offensive line is the walls caving in maybe it's just the way rivers reacts to everything it I is in part but this he was, had a clean pocket to step into and he just you know right. rookie mistake late but, to the flat but this was the first game where his offensive line was kind of like the chargers right like not over not across the board but suddenly there was, but a, there problem. was a problem spot yeah, and you yeah. know there's a problem and you have to deal with it like before for the first few weeks of the season the colts offensive line hasn't been the best in the nfl but it's been the best that's ever been put in front of rivers and consequently, it hasn't really affected his game. This was the first week where I think it probably did, and you saw like a complete implosion that looked like 2019 Rivers. All right, let's get to uh, Sunday Night Football as the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. Minnesota, when you talk about this explosive Seattle offense, Minnesota did such a good job in the first half, taking away all of the deep shots. There was a point where Seattle had only dropped back nine times, and they had or uh, nine times with five net passing yards because Russell Wilson had taken three sacks. They were taking away the deep shots. Seattle kept dialing them up. It was one of those games where I think the scheme schemes don't mesh. But over time, it, it evened out, and Seattle ended up 
making their plays. But it was a good one. 27-26, Seattle pulled it off. This game was ridiculous. The Vikings dominated the entire first half, went into the halftime with a you know double-digit lead. Um, Seattle erased the entire thing and then some in like a few minutes in the third quarter. And then suddenly it becomes like a back-and-forth battle because Cousins just needed to be put in a hole to start dealing. Dalvin Cook goes down. The offense changes anyway. <laughs> and then it comes down to this fourth-down decision for the Vikings, fourth and one in the shadow of Seattle's goal line. Do you go for it? If you get the conversion, you basically end Seattle's chance of winning. They don't get it. Um, I, I mean, we've argued about this already. You can pause it where there's a giant hole to the right of the fullback, not the Listen, left. Don't, don't get pulled in by freeze frame, I still picture Twitter. I wouldn't, except that I thought the same thing live when I saw the, the motion shot. Like, I fully appreciate that the run is designed to go where it went. Like, Madison hit the hole he was supposed to hit. On the other hand, the hole just to the right of that was a lot bigger, yeah, even though the linebacker's leverage is working to that side. The problem is that the right tackle is losing his block in the gap you're hitting. So either way, you're running into a, a defender's leverage. But if you go right, you're running into a defender's leverage with another two and a half yards of space. I'm just saying Dalvin Cook would have hit the gap and converted the fourth down. Well, yeah, Dalvin's awesome. So anyway, they the Vikings go for it, don't get it. And then Seattle ends up driving down the length, taking like four shots with DK Metcalf, eventually getting one of them and winning the game. Yeah, DK is becoming just like that man-child in the NFL. I mean, they fourth and 10, they threw it up. Um, that was Dantzler, right? Cameron Dantzler just lost yeah. track of the football in the air. It should have been- Which he did a few times in that yeah. game. It should have been a contested catch. DK, it wasn't even contested. DK just went up and got it. And then even then, it's funny because when you're watching Russell Wilson the whole time, he's that good. You're expecting him to pull it off and expecting him to pull it off. But then it's like, hey, it's fourth and 10. Maybe it's not going to... Okay, it happened. And yeah. then it's fourth and goal. Maybe it's not... Okay, he makes a ridiculous throw <laughs> up and away from coverage to DK for the game winner. Um, he did also you know, fail at his first comeback attempt with a bad interception up the seam. He just threw it right to Eric Wilson. Wilson was all over the field making plays. Um, that was... It was a second turnover worthy play of the, of the years. But ultimately... You know, Wilson made a ton of his usual array of, of big time throws. I can't tell if it's if it's skill or he's just done it by essentially coincidence and luck a couple of times this season. But DK Metcalf has been insanely good at catching the ball and then immediately shifting it just a little bit from where he caught it so that the hand coming in to swipe it misses. He yeah. did it to Stefan Gilmore on that giant deep touchdown. You know, he caught the ball and then like moves the ball. And Gilmore's arm just shucks down the side, doesn't actually get a, a swipe on the ball. And then he did it for the touchdown right at the end. He just catches it, moves it just a little bit. So was it Anthony Harris? Doesn't get a clean Harris, shot yeah. at the ball. Like, it's incredible what the margins are. It's not, it's not, I thought initially it was like strength to avoid the contact, but it isn't. He's subtly moving it just before the hit comes and avoiding the, the shot from the DB that punches it out. Now, it didn't always work. He got... Mike or Mike Hughes punched one out that could have easily been a touchdown a couple of plays before that. Um, but it's insane how good he's so been close. at doing that. That was really close. That, I the first I would have given a touchdown for that. Yeah, the first near touchdown. Anyway, it was it was an exciting game that we weren't expecting. Um, 
or maybe maybe you weren't expecting the rain game too. There's always a little bit of rain in Seattle a couple times a year. Well, also it's raining. It's the Minnesota Vikings. It's Mike Zimmer. You expect them to come out and run the ball like 98 straight times, but the first drive it was like passing. They come out slinging it left and right. Then they go to the run game, having established the lead, and then later on they get back into it by sling like it was bizarre. They just the Vikings almost set out to do the exact opposite of what you were expecting them to do from an offensive standpoint. Well, yeah, I mean, it, like running it with the lead is okay, but I think that's where, again, it gets like a little iffy. It's not like, hey, we got we got that 13-point lead. Let's make sure we just sit on this thing. You're literally two deep balls away from, you know, right. losing the lead. I mean, they eradicated that lead almost immediately. Right. Seattle scored, what, th three times in about a minute and a half. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought Mike Zimmer overall though he was aggressive. You know, early on they went for fourth and ones. They went they went a lot. Yeah. When you know on fourth down and everything, I was that's why I was joking on Twitter. You know, you, you don't want to have an elite quarterback. It makes the other team more aggressive. When does that start to come back to bite you? Well, it doesn't. But um, but it is true. Like if you are the underdog, that's part of why you need to be more aggressive and, and use four downs instead of three. That's how you have to play that game. And I'm interested to know that if they hadn't already gone for it a couple of times, whether they would have gone for the one that, on their like their own 20-something, or if that was just like a bridge too far, that there's no scenario by which they would have gone for that. We're seeing that more and more. As Mina Kimes tweeted out, we saw the box, and you know Bruce Arians isn't really the most aggressive coach. They yeah. went for it on fourth and one on the 20 against Nick Foles. That, I think, is the one area where the analytics push is really starting to get through. This idea of, we're seeing it on two points as well, but the fourth down thing, it's just, it's up so much over a few years ago. Teams have figured out that this is actually the right call. And he, like, even a guy like Mike Zimmer is, you know, at the end, you know, old Mike, who's staunchly old school anti-analytics and data is like, if we convert that, we win the game. I was trying to win the game, the end. Like, that's the right call. I'm not taking your revisionist, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty bull. That was the right call, and we just didn't convert. Yeah, you're, you're one play away from winning the game, yep. essentially. And even if you don't get it, Seattle still had to put together a 10, 15, a long drive to to come back one last point on this game um drew samia is a problem who for is the he? vikings for the people he's that their don't... right guard yes. he's their current right guard on the basis that they've already had some injuries and he's the guy that they're left with right my question last night is simply how bad can his backup possibly be i know he's not the original backup but there is a body if he goes down in the game there is a guy you are throwing onto the field rather than play with 10 men on offense and four offensive linemen right whoever that is should be on the field at some point just to find out how bad it could possibly be because right now Samia is like one of one of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL and up, like he's causing the offense on his own to get wrecked yeah the, the figure guard out how play, bad the backup is guard play by the Vikings was horrible the, the Seahawks defensive line has not gotten pressure all year they were actually rushing the passer pretty well against this Vikings line yeah. so that's all that's all Seattle needed mm -hmm. was to go up against the Vikings line. Um, I want to combine the next two because there's some stories coming out of yesterday's game. The Carolina Panthers beat the Atlanta Falcons and the Houston Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Texans have a coaching change. Yes. And the Atlanta Falcons now have a coaching change. And GM change. And GM change. Just saying. A couple jobs open right now. Hmm. So Carolina, first of all, you got your Prezi ready? Working on it. Okay. 
I think PowerPoint still works, don't... Anyway, let's talk about the Falcons. Blowing it all up. Is this yeah. a good move? Is this, is, this, is this a good move here? I wasn't expecting Dimitrov, to be honest. I thought it was going to be yeah. Dan Quinn. I wasn't expecting the whole top. The, the Quinn part, I think, was inevitable, right? I mean, this has been a mess. Yeah. Um, and there's no... It's one of those messes that... Where's the turnaround? Like, this is not getting fixed anytime soon. This is headed too far down a bad road so let's blow it up and start over um yeah the, the dimitrov part is interesting um but i think i guess they just felt like this is too fundamental a change let's just clean house and start over um i don't know that's the wrong idea to be honest i mean this team is a disaster right now for the panthers i keep coming back to man they shouldn't be the, this good yeah. on paper now I, did, I was on Carolina radio a few weeks ago, and, I, and they were like, how bad is this Christian McCaffrey injury? I said, they're, they might be better because they're going oh, no, to pass more. Top 10 in EPA since McCaffrey went down. Our friend Trent Dilfer is still saying, impressive job by the Panthers. Imagine what happens when Christian McCaffrey gets back. I understand the sentiment, but... It's not as bad as some of the things that were said last night about Dak Prescott's injury. Oh, gosh. Either way, I like Trent, by the way. He's awesome. Um, Carolina three and two, and I think showing their ability to spread the ball around again, get the ball in DJ Moore's hands, yards after the catch. Teddy Bridgewater played a much cleaner game here yeah. that you know that we expected. Like he's not going to put the ball in harm's way every week. That's the second forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Oh, there you go. You were yelling at Teddy. That's not even the one I was talking about, but that's the second one. I was saying, yeah, the Teddy thing is going to come back to catch him, but actually he played way better in this game and didn't didn't put the ball in harm's way. Yeah. And look, it's Atlanta's defense in a dome and all that fun stuff. But, you know, impressive. The three wins for the Carolina Panthers. I thought they might finish the season with three <laughs> to five. So they're yeah. doing a good job there. And I think that's when you the thing about like a first year coach, it doesn't you know, if you just outperform your expectations, I think that bodes well for the future. And I think that's where Matt Rule is for Atlanta. They've got some Matt Ryan has a massive dead cap hit for next year. But it's an interesting situation they're in there, right? Matt Ryan has regressed a little bit these last couple of years. And but they've just got a, such a good foundation with the receivers and, you know, some of the other weapons and offensive pieces. It's, it's going to take a defensive overhaul there. So fascinated to see where they go from uh, an organizational standpoint. Yeah. Um, Robbie Anderson has turned into like a complete number one receiver. Like, not just this deep threat and not just a deep threat with some yak ability. Now he's making, like, contested one-handed grabs down the sideline. Yeah. Like, this guy is actually a, a legitimate, dangerous, all-around receiver that just happens to be built like a stick. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And that was the one thing I would say about Carolina where I said maybe they, they, they won't be in the number one overall pick conversation was their playmakers. And you see DJ Moore, you see Robbie Anderson, what they're able to do. Um, so impressed by what the Panthers are doing. We mentioned the Jags and the Texans. The Texans, they had, you know, you just change the coach. All of a sudden you win. It, it was closer than maybe people expected for a while. But um, Deshaun Watson made some plays, a little bad luck on some interceptions. But that offense, they found Brandon Cooks down the field, which I thought was huge. They started to use those guys, the speed down the field a little bit more. And I thought that helped. All you got to do to right the ship is to fire the guy that was running everything and play a depleted Jacksonville Jaguars. That's it. Um, Completely resolved. It's like, yeah, look, Houston looked better. On the other hand, they were playing a Jacksonville team that started off with maybe the least talented roster in the NFL and is depleted. Like, of course, Brandon Cooks looked good. Look who was covering him. I mean, you know, come on. Let's, let's have some awareness for who they were playing. Like, they, 
didn't dominate a Jacksonville team that was wrecked with injuries and had nobody out there covering the fastest receiving group in the NFL. Of course they look good. Hey, Sidney Jones was out there making plays for them. Yeah, on a tip pass that landed in his gut. He was making plays. Everyone else was not. Chris Claybrooks was playing cornerback. Yeah. Trey that Herndon go. out there. Wasn't great. No. So, I think Houston still has some issues. Yeah, but. I mean, look, great for them to get off the schneid, get a win. On the other hand, if you couldn't win this game, like, you're screwed. Like, if you couldn't win this game, we're talking about Houston being in the running for, like, a top draft pick, not how, how much can they write the season. Man, just trying to bring some positive energy to my future Houston Texans. Just, no, no, we'll no. write the ship. We'll write the ship. Our friend Seth Payne, a Houston media member, he's, he's asking if Houston should be a seller at the trade deadline. I don't know what they would sell. Right. JJ? I should mean, they be honestly, a seller? Yeah, that, that would be an interesting They thing. They don't have a draft pick until round three. Yeah. If you're trying to overhaul a roster. Particularly the way he's been playing this year. Like, if you can convince some team that he's actually still a defensive player of the year kind of player, and really he's not, you can just go. Mm. The problem with JJ is one of those face of the franchise. Yes. Everything he but did with the Hurricanes. But you Watson. You can get away with that. No, I know. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying. Like, I would be a seller for any I mean, draft capital if, yeah if a team came along and waved a first round pick in your direction for jj watt you would find it pretty on, hard to turn that down on the other hand houston has played the bulk of their difficult schedule it's still not easy they still have to fine but they still have deshaun watson they're in the afc south how hard could that be colts just lost yeah how hard could it be even with one win in week five saw the colts make come back from that a couple of years ago with Frank Reich's first Look, year. Tennessee are undefeated, and they may never play again if they all get COVID. So. If the playoffs ended today, Tennessee's the – they got a bye, mm. right? Or no, there's only one bye now. 3-0 and Tennessee. Anyway, speaking of how hard could it be, that is not what showed up on NFL Red Zone. But our friend Andrew Siciliano – Friend of the show. He, uh, the he show. summed up the Miami Dolphins' win against the San Francisco 49ers perfectly. Yeah. Let's, let's listen to Andrew. Uh, on Thursday, we talked to him about – a little bit of an Easter egg. What could you do? What could you do for the PFF NFL podcast on NFL Red Zone? Here's what we said. We're going to figure something out. We're going to have some Easter eggs for the DirecTV yeah. listeners. I think yeah. that's what well, we're going to try to pull You off. should. I will do it. And um, listeners to the podcast, if they're still listening at this point with all our rambling. <laughs> that's a great um, caveat. Great caveat. A, they should give us suggestions. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we'll get some suggestions from the listeners. We'll have something PFF NFL podcast related, or you, and you could also just cite PFF grades as much as possible throughout the, uh, the afternoon, you know, it's easy. Or, or we could make up like a fake metric. Yes. Oh, that's now really we're cooking. This yeah. is, yeah, we got to, we, we'll get a group text going. We'll have some serious, you know, ideation going. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to do this. The ridiculous things we could do. This is perfect. I can't wait. Well, I'm firing up yeah, red zone like, this week. Like guard pole pancake percentage. Yes. <laughs> please please make sure everybody make sure all your spotters know to keep an eye out for the guard pull pancakes yeah and we'll make that happen particularly if it's like a wide receiver on the play yeah <laughs> totally. this is gonna be great Get out of the way two years as the head coach so a resounding win for the dolphins 43 17 they go to two and three and as our friends of pro football focus would say they are creeping back towards average so are the 49ers for that matter now at two and three and if you're wondering yes that is an advanced metric Thanks, Andrew. That's why that's why he needs to be on the show more often. So we we're going to send him something else for next week? So we can get more things on TV? Yes. 
Um, awesome that he did that, by the way. Yeah, he's that is man. fantastic. Go listen to the interview on Thursday if you didn't. We had, it was a fun little discussion, a little inside TV stuff. Talk about Andrew, his process with NFL Red Zone. Um, but the Dolphins destroy the 49ers. This is my other, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Because when we were previewing this game, I was like, I don't understand why this line is only nine points in, in San Francisco's favor. And I was like, oh, yeah, because... They don't know who their quarterback is going to be, right? Nick Mullins had a disaster. C.J. Beathard, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is still working his way back from injury. It's like, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like any of those three, they should be covering nine points against the Dolphins. And they get absolutely <laughs> wrecked because Jimmy Garoppolo, who should have been their best quarterback, goes out there and plays a disastrous game. And then they end up benching him for his own safety, claiming that, look, the ankle clearly wasn't 100%. Let's let's. Let's drag him back to the bench. Kyle Shanahan was very much protecting him at the end of the game, saying, yeah, he's, he was playing banged up. He doesn't normally throw the ball like that. It wasn't the same guy. Yeah. Remember when Garoppolo was coming back from his knee injury before last season? He had that Monday night game where he was like one for five with two picks. And that was after throwing five picks at training camp. And everybody's like, oh, Garoppolo's a I mean, it felt like that playing in. He doesn't play injured very well, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, really not well. So I don't know how much you chalk that up to the injury, and you're like, hey, he's got another week to recover. He should be okay. But, yeah, that was concerning. Look, I expected some regression from the Niners I, this year. I wasn't expecting Miami and Fitz to whip it around the yard on them and, and absolutely dominate. Jimmy Garoppolo, PFF grade in the 20s. Um, C.J. Beathard comes in, and without a team playing prevent defense for a few drives, doesn't actually look very good. He struggles. And on the other end of the scale, you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick out there just dealing, notching himself another PFF grade in the 90s. Like, Fitzmagic is, dude, that guy's career is insane. He was crappy for a decent period of his career. And then late in, in, his, late in his twilight years, grows out the giant badass beard and starts slinging around 90 grades with bad teams like it's nothing. He wasn't crappy. He was, he was gunslinger. Crappy. He was in the 20s. He ranked his... Ranked in the 20s. Early in his career, he was crappy. Now he's in the teens. He's played like a quarterback in the teens the last few years. But with a bunch wise. of 90 plus grades. Oh, in yeah. There. The high end games are stupid. I and mean, we need to, yeah. There, he has more Foles type games than, you know, we. we than Foles maybe, does. Yes. We yeah. maybe overrate the Foles game. I got to look that up for it. I'll look it up for the next pod. How many 90 plus or like 88 plus games has Fitz put up the last few games? Because that's, once you get into like 86, 88, that's pretty elite territory for a game grade for PFF. He's got a ton of them. There are just some games where he's on. Cornerback uh, Brian Allen had a game to forget. Yeah. For the Niners, he just kept getting picked on. So my analogy of you know Kyle Shanahan being Rembrandt, and it doesn't matter what you give him with, or it doesn't matter what you give him, he's able to create a masterpiece. Turns out that if you leave the masterpiece alone and unguarded, like a toddler can just walk in there and like stomp all over and destroy it. That's what's happening right now is that apparently – He's found things that are bad enough that can destroy the masterpiece while he's not paying attention. And the analogy continues. So rough one as the uh, Dolphins, both teams, creeping back toward average in, in different directions. Thank you, Andrew. But Miami, like, if, if they get Fitzpatrick playing like that, they can do damage. Like, the defense is not amazing, but it, playing that level of man coverage is, a, is awkward Volatile. Yeah, and it's awkward unless you have a phenomenal receiving core that you know will win like pretty much every rep, right? If you don't have that, it's not easy to play a team that's going to play aggressive man coverage constantly 
And then if you're able to actually have a quarterback playing out of his mind on the other side of the, the ball, like Miami isn't bad. I love Xavier Howard's stat line. This is the most Xavier Howard season right now. He's got five games. He's got three coverage grades under 60, mm -hmm. but he now has two grades over 84. Those are really good, including the interceptions. In his two best games, he hasn't given up a catch on seven targets. So in his best game, Xavier Howard does look just like Richard Sherman. The problem is it really shows up four or five, six times a year. But I mean, it's, it's just awesome. That's that's just what Xavier Howard is. He had one of his good games. Yeah, the 49ers yesterday. need their secondary healthy, which is their big problem. Like Brian Allen was bad. Jamar Taylor was bad. J uh, Richard Sherman has been injured, isn't back yet. Um, they, they just need those guys on the field. Speaking of Richard Sherman, you can hear him every week on our friend Chris Collinsworth, his podcast, the Chris Collinsworth podcast. It features Richard Sherman every single week. Some of the best NFL football discussion, off-field discussion. I know you've been a big fan. Not that I haven't been, but you've been a big fan because you came into this anticipating. This is amazing. Chris and Sherman, two guys who love the game, see it differently, see it intelligently. So it's a pretty good mix. Yep. The end. Yeah, it is. I agree. I concur. I endorse this message. I know. That, I approve of this message. That's all I wanted from you is a little okay. yeah. approval. So go check it out. Download and subscribe to Chris Collinsworth podcast again. We told we told Chris we'd help him get this thing off the ground. No, it's, it's really good. It's really good. So go check it out um, anywhere you're listening to us or anywhere you listen to your podcast. All right. What else do we have here? I lost the Alex page. Smith game. Yes, that's what it was. Dude, Great story, man. Alex Smith man. came back. I mean, that's, a, that's a story. The field. That, dude, that how I, I i've never really appreciated before because my kid is seven but you know sending them out into harm's way on a regular basis and just looking at it like hoping they don't destroy anything when you were watching alex smith play it's like oh that's great he's back on the field like a round of applause for alex smith what a great story comeback player of the year give it to him now and then it's like aaron donald is jumping on his back god like stop. his second like, drop back dude, his first sack was literally yeah. giving alex smith a piggyback or giving aaron donald a piggyback yeah like, that guy barely had a leg a while ago and now you're carrying an extra 285 pounds on your back yeah it was uncomfortable because i know his leg isn't what it was it's you know back and healthy but man, it felt like I just don't want Alex to take a hit. Yeah, and the weird thing is, so Kyle Allen goes down with a head, gets smacked in the head, apparently passes whatever like concussion protocols or HIA in rugby head injury assessment, hmm. passes whatever was required to pass to get medically cleared to go back out. But it was a coaching decision to keep Alex Smith out there. And Alex Smith was getting murdered. He yeah, he got sacked six times. Aaron Donald is just in his lap every two seconds. Like, at some point, I mean, Alex Smith may be better equipped to protect himself than Kyle Allen is. On the other hand, he also had 17 surgeries on his leg and might have less of himself to protect than Kyle Allen. Yeah, and Alex was never really the best at – he had a quick release, but he always took way more sacks than he should have as a game manager, so that was always a part of it. And then how much has he actually practiced? How, much, how many reps has he gotten in camp? Because Dwayne Haskins has been the starter. Kyle Allen has been the backup. They didn't have preseason games. Like, how many live action plays has Alex Smith actually had since coming back from injury? Average depth of target this week, the bottom two are both the Washington football team. 
um, Alex Smith, 5.8, and Kyle Allen with 2. 2.0 average yeah. depth of target. It was a rain so, game trying to protect those it guys. It was ugly, whatever was going to happen, but God, it felt uncomfortable watching Alex Smith back right. there. So the Rams take care of business. They go to 4-0 in the NFC East. Yeah. And uh, just, wow, what a story. Alex Smith coming back and playing football. Looks like Kyle Allen will be back as the starter. Jared Goff is playing quietly really well. They were given a ton of uh, – Kevin O'Connell's the the offensive coordinator yeah. there, and they were giving him a ton of credit during the broadcast – and when we've talked about the McVay offense in the next iteration, Kevin O'Connell is one of the guys that probably deserves credit here. Yeah. And I, it's just been also Zach, also Zach Robinson, Obviously. who moved who moved out of the QB room this year. Damn it! But to the receiver room, and those are yeah. guys are getting open. Yes. So Zach, exactly. good job. I would still put Zach on defense. Uh -huh. um, but I think that's part of it too. It's not like Goff's not making amazing throws either. We talked about Roethlisberger having six big time throws. Goff only has a handful. This offense is just they're rolling though. Like they're they're it's a it's an, just an efficient brand of football that they're playing right now, and they're putting Goff in position to succeed. He's just he's one of the lowest in the leagues at, league at uh, avoiding best at avoiding negatively graded plays. So he's far. a weird force multiplier to an offense that's working really well though. Because I think like when you get an offense that is firing on all cylinders, Goff has this bizarre ability to actually add an insane amount of value with plays that some quarterbacks don't. But then when it starts to falter and stumble, he looks terrible. Yeah, but I think they're doing a really good job with him this year. So yeah. uh, they've also played four games against the NFC East, 4-0 Rams. Uh, let's wrap it up with two more games. The Cincinnati Bengals, who – oh, I, I, this is my confession? Okay. I said they're unblowoutable. Yeah. They, they're blowoutable. They were blown out. They were blown out by the Baltimore Ravens. I want to say this, though. The Ravens still don't feel right. They just don't feel they're not exact they're not even close to what they were last year from a dominant offense standpoint. Lamar Jackson did not play well at all yesterday. I know there's a rain and all that stuff, but just from a pure decision making standpoint, poor. Three turnover worthy plays. Um they threw the ball twice as much as they ran the ball uh until about garbage time. It just isn't the same offense that they were last year. Now it would be tough to duplicate them having the sixth the best. If their run game was a pass game, it'd be the sixth most efficient pass game. Like that, duplicating that was going to be tough. It still, does just doesn't feel right for Baltimore. But you got that 2000 Ravens defense that you expected come back. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this was, yeah, poor Joe Burrow. Like he'd been playing with fire for a while. Yeah. You know, taking hits that he shouldn't take against not great defenses. This was what we feared might happen, right? You go up against a Baltimore defense that confuses the living crap out of young quarterbacks and can get after you and cause you problems, and it just wrecked poor Joe Burrow. Like, the dude didn't know what he was coming or going. Took some bad sacks, like a sack seven times or something. Like, it just, this is ugly. Rain aside, because it did get rainy there, just like it did in Washington, wasn't making good throws or decisions. It was also hilarious because draft time, we always talk about hand size. We had nine-inch hand Joe Barrow and nine-inch hand Jared Goff both playing in the rain. Goff had one pass where he looked like he was straight pie throwing. It looked rivers like he was just get, it actually got there. Um, so I'm going to go back and rewatch the tape for the nine-inch hand guys. On we don't the, all the have freaky foot-wide hands like you. I can I can throw. Your hands are so absurd you can't grip a football properly. I can throw. We discovered in the rain. at the start of this video if you're watching on YouTube. Don't. Don't assess my grip. A lot of buzz around our hometown of Cincinnati that A.J. Green is upset. He was upset on the interception, and he said, trade me, and people are reading his lips. We might might need to get our friend Paul Daner on here to to unlock. Oh, not to read lips. 
Okay. No, not to read lips. Just to unlock the uh, the real story with AJ Green. But either way, I view coming into the season. I said, look, give him a few season, a few weeks with Joe Burrow. You're probably not going to compete. Maybe you will. But ultimately, AJ Green's best value to the Bengals is probably as a trade piece. And with so many receiving cores and just so many injuries around the league, do you want to grab another injured player? But the the upside of AJ Green for a contender right now is huge. Is he it be on the trading block? I don't know that anybody wants any part of AJ Green. I think the, the upside of it is great, but he looks done. Like yeah, that's his problem. Like I, he's he's getting upset because he's not a big part of this offense. But the reason you're not a big part of his offense is because you can't get open anymore. Hmm. I mean, but I think it's a complementary part of another offense where he doesn't have to be the number one, and he's a red zone threat and you know contested catch guy in this time at the, at this point in his career. Hmm. I'm just I'm not sure you're going to have too many trade suitors if you're trying to ship him off the more by the way do we arizona and the jets are the last game but are we underrate are we underrating how or underappreciating larry fitzgerald at this point in his career so many other receivers that are not named jerry rice just can't make it past 33 34 35 years old yeah and fitz isn't great right now but he's still playing and well efficient the key to that is being able to transition inside right where you get the yeah. free releases you get you just have to find the space that's given to you right because that's what playing in the slot often is it's like i can't actually beat anybody anymore but on the other hand it's if it's a zone defense i know where the soft spot is i can sit in space and wait for the ball to arrive and i have great hands like larry fitzgerald i'm never going to drop one so i can be functional and still keep chugging along with that six seven hundred yards a season that's how you catch a jerry rice it's not the 1,500-yard seasons you have to be concerned about. It's the last five 700-yard seasons that you need to assemble. So anyway, um, ugly game for the Bengals. Baltimore still want to see. They still haven't played their complete game. I'll leave it at that with the, with the Ravens. And we'll wrap it up with the Cardinals and the Jets. Probably the most unexciting game of the year, uh, of the week. But the, the other teams that are winless or at least showing signs of life. The Jets are not. They're getting destroyed every week. Joe Flacco out there, great in the 50s. And uh, Cardinals offense looked good against a bad Jets defense. Yeah, which bad sums up this game. Like the question we had going in, and basically the only question is, can the fact that the Jets are able to stop the run aggressively up front impact what the Cardinals do and, and mess with Kyla Murray in the way that uh, the game before did? The answer was no. Uh, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense was able to roll. Joe Flacco and the Jets offense was not. Um, yeah, the, the Jets are just a mess. They, I mean, this team is on track for the number one overall pick. Other teams are in contention, but nobody is like committing to it the way the Jets are in terms of just depressing, awful play. Any bright sparks they have have been injured. Like it's they're they're or have been Jamison Crowder. He is the bright yeah. spot there. For the for the Jets, he pretty much was their entire offense with over 100 yards on nine targets. So, yeah, not great for the New York Jets. No, that'll do it, man. Is that everything? Do we yeah. do we forget anything? I don't think so. If we Is did, it, it's your fault because you did the document. If we did, you'll get into the YouTube uh, comments and and give your analysis. So that's it. Week five, we still have Monday Night Football, Chargers Saints. We have a full preview on the YouTube channel plus and the. Tuesday night football, right? And Tuesday night on? football with the Bills and Titans. Those previews are in our preview podcast. So go ahead and listen to that if you missed it originally. Uh, but week five, mostly in the books. 
We'll be back here Thursday. Do we have Will Brinson this week? Is that what I saw? I believe so, yeah. Will Brinson from CBS Sports, I think, will be our special guest. I'll check my calendar, but I'm pretty sure. We got some pretty good guests lined up. Mm. We'll see if he'll get, maybe he can give us some sort of Easter egg drop somewhere, too. Future Hall of Famers on the way? We do? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Oh, wow. So check it out. PFF NFL Podcast, bringing in the guests in the coming weeks. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Thursday for the Week 6 preview.